it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in the world of supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After our discussion, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. James Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock was doing. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. James Stock to learn about his work. As an academic in the field of transportation, logistics, and now what we call supply chain management, Jim was well-connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in this space. Jim did interviews with many of these original thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you on Supply Chain is Boring. And what do you think you learned most from having that military background uh, that perhaps you carry on even to this day in terms of how you approach your profession and life in general? Well, one thing is I learned how to compete in a class in which uh, they literally, I think the phrase, look the person on your left and your right because they're probably not going to be there before you finish. Uh, I think that might have originated with pilot training because it was true. So surviving through that kind of rigorous training where you were expected to perform 100% all the time, the expectations were extremely high, mm -hmm. it was very competitive, uh, very maturing, uh, and probably uh, a tremendous school in how to develop leadership skills. So I think the whole military discipline, the no, uh, no excuse environment, it's either perform or don't, but if you don't, the consequences were significant. That, uh, I think, was a very useful period of my life. You mentioned earlier that your ultimate decision to go in the academic arena had something yeah. to do with both college as well as military. How did the military then fit into that? Okay, the, the decision to be assigned to the RAND Corporation uh, we had a uh, technical advisor on our base from the RAND Corporation because they ran uh, all of the air defense training and they ran simulators that allowed us mm -hmm. to have uh, simulated attacks on the United States and, and we would use the simulators to, uh, to respond. It was my first experience with anything that dealt with computer generated activity and this was very early on. Um, when the opportunity came to go to the RAND Corporation I was assigned to uh, be an Air Force liaison to that group in terms of their global training missions and I worked with uh, a psychologist, Dr. Jim Wickers who all he talked to me about was going to graduate school and uh, I didn't really want to be a lawyer I should look into the academic world, but I, it, it ran right off my back. Mm -hmm. But we had some rather rigorous uh, um, simulation exercises that were much more than casual events, and I learned rather extensively uh, systems network theory, 
working at the Rand Corporation, which was an emerging science at that time, uh, probably applied more in electrical engineering than any other field, but something which in the social sciences was pretty far out. I mean, there wasn't much written on it, and uh, we ran a lot of a lot of what appeared to be kind of like crazy experiments, but it was all part of building a database, and uh, it was just a, a it was one of those kind of things where you just waited to go to work in the morning. It was that exciting, and living in Santa Monica is not exciting, but the work was very exciting. It was a great six months. Okay, so after your military experience uh, and then the RAND experience while you were in there, mm -hmm. uh, was that then what motivated you on for the master's de degree? Well, here's what happened in a nutshell. Um, I Getting a master's degree in business was suddenly becoming something of, of a very popular destination for people getting out of the military. Mm -hmm. The MBA was just emerging, and uh, one of my good friends was going to Stanford, and I applied and was admitted to Stanford and was all set to go to Stanford when my wife informed me that she was and, and I were both ready to have a second child. And at that point, I decided uh, I would take her home after close to three and a half years of moving around with one baby already from house trailer to apartment to whatever it was to, to a little motel room in Santa Monica that we would uh, go back home so she could have the support of parents uh, during that time. And so I applied to Michigan State late. I learned we were going to get an early out if we were admitted to a to a college. So I applied to Michigan State, found out they didn't have an MBA, but they had a thing called a master's in business, and they were going to start an MBA. So uh, I went back to Michigan State for personal reasons, family reasons, more than anything else. Otherwise, I'd have been off to Stanford, and life might have taken quite a different turn. But uh, there I was back at Michigan State. So during that uh, time at Michigan State in the master's program, um, did anything occur which said, you know, Don Bowersock should go on for a Ph.D.? Well, it occurred in the following way, yes, some things did occur. I was on my way to law school. I had applied for admission to the University of Michigan's law school during my master's program. Uh, academics seemed relatively simple. I ended up getting the award for the highest scholarship in my program, which which uh, something I felt very good about at the time. And uh, as I was going through the program, uh, one of my former high school teammates uh, and classmates, uh, a guy by the name of Larry Fowler, who was an attorney, later became an attorney, was going to graduate school at, at uh, getting his master's degree before he went to law school and he took me up to introduce me to a professor he'd met in business who uh, was trying to, was working on some ideas that he thought I would be able to contribute to and I wanted to get a graduate assistantship so I went up and met two professors Edward Smikey and Frank Mossman and these two professors were doing some work in what they called at that time extended transportation. 
and they were trying to figure out how to look at the impact of transportation beyond purely the freight rates. And uh, I had talked to Larry, well, we'd gotten together evenings and spent time, and I'd told him all about this systems network theory that I'd been working on in the Air Force. And he thought I could match up with them and maybe contribute something. And and I, but I also became deeply involved with Tom Stout and Don Taylor. In fact, Don Taylor ultimately became my my uh, professor, my senior professor, and I would say the number one person that guided me through my career. But my field fundamental major was in marketing, mm -hmm. and uh, I was kind of doing this work in distribution, and we didn't have a field. We started the first course, and I attended it and took it as sort of a student assistant. It was... Um, uh, physical distribution 445, which I think still stands as probably the first formal course. Uh, Mossman taught it, and uh, Smikey and I kind of more or less, even though Smikey was a professor, we were the graduate assistants, mm -hmm. and uh, we put together this class, and that preceded the book a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But So I was doing that work, but my real major was marketing, and I, then I got excited about a Ph.D. I was working in the inner circles of a university, and at that point I decided to uh, make application to some schools, and I applied to Columbia and to Indiana, and uh, I got accepted. And Indiana offered me the best financial package, and... Um, so at that point, I uh, was on my way to Indiana, and Michigan State got a new grant where they could award a, a funded position for one of the, I guess, the first funded PhDs that they had that wasn't just purely teaching. Mm -hmm. It was teaching and research. It was funded by a guy by the name of George Ramlos, an early warehouse design person. And George was very interested in extending the thoughts about warehousing beyond just purely the four walls. And uh, of course, so I had the transportation guys on one side, warehousing guy on the other side, and some money offered. Uh, so while I was supposed to go to Indiana in the fall, the night before we began to pack, by the way, my wife was pregnant again for our third child, uh, Tom Stout came to our student apartment, all excited. He, if you knew Tom Stout, you knew that he could get totally motivated and was contagious in that sense, that he had the financial assistance. Now, he had sponsored me to Indiana where he had gone to school. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of said, you've got to stay here and get your Ph.D. Well, I've got him on one side, and I've got a pregnant wife on the other side, in Indiana lasted about 30 seconds, and uh, I stayed on at Michigan State for the third degree. Again, I'm very unplanned. Along the way, I had decided law school was, I was a no-show, so law school was, was gone for then. Okay. Now, as we look at your career, uh, tell us how you went about securing your first job in the academic sector. We know it occurred after having been in business, uh, so how did that first position as an associate professor develop? How did you go about securing your first academic position? 
Well, um, my first, what progressed was a book that I think uh, we'll talk about at some point, but it was uh, a book in physical distribution that was written during the same time I was doing my doctoral dissertation. Um, in the fall of 1960, I went to work for the Railway Express Agency in New York, and uh, the book had been crafted at that point and was under review. It was a very, very difficult to get that book published, by the way, and, and uh, so it took a long time between the time we had the manuscript ready to go and when somebody would actually publish a book in this obscure field that no one knew what it was. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I went to New York and started working in the fall while I was finishing my dissertation. And I graduated in, in December. So I was not in academia, I was in business. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in business then for, stayed at REA until the then president, Bill Johnson, who had hired uh, this team to come in and reinvent the Railway Express Agency, decided it couldn't be done. And the team was disbanding and uh, going to different jobs and, and uh, at the same time, Stout called me up and said, wouldn't you like to teach? Now, a lot of people don't know that I went back to Michigan State in a 10-year track in the spring of, I believe it was 62, and taught for one term. And then uh, I had an offer to go with E.F. McDonald Company. And uh, Tom, again, his opinion was, well, we don't have any graduates that are vice presidents of major corporations, so you ought to go do that. You can always come back here. So I left Michigan State and went with E.F. McDonald Company. Okay. So that so was a pretty fast transition, and we moved back to East Lansing and then to Dayton, Ohio, within uh, the six-month period. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of, um, we mentioned earlier in your introduction, 40 years at Michigan State. Um, yeah. We'll talk specifically about some of those years in, in a few moments, but when you look back on that 40-year uh, time horizon, what do you consider to be the most significant accomplishment uh, as a professional academic? Oh, wow. Uh, the, the 40 years seem to go fairly quick. It's uh, just amazing how fast, uh, in retrospect, the, those years do go. Upon arriving at Michigan State full-time, after I'd been in business for close to five years, and then that started the 40-year uh, uh, of continuous service, um, I wasn't planning on really staying. Um, another event had happened in my family. My wife had gotten ill, mm -hmm. and it was uh, uh, the decision to go to Michigan State was after deciding not to go to Ohio State. I'd been offered uh, the chair that Jim Heskett had had at Ohio State mm -hmm. when he went to Harvard, and uh, uh, it w a full-ranked chair at Ohio State, his initial uh, academic appointment was uh, with the chair was a pretty exciting event in my life, and it was only right to almost the last minute that I... I turned it down when Michigan State made me an offer of an associate professorship without a chair, and I didn't do it because I wanted to. 
I did it because my wife uh, had MS and was not in, in good shape, and it was the only right thing to do to put her back again in a family context. Mm -hmm. So we went to East Lansing on, because of that. Now, that starts you in a in a position where you figure that as uh, soon as things get a little better here, I'm going to get on to somewhere else because I had felt I'd been there an awfully long time already. Mm -hmm. uh, I was promised a promotion within a year, and and actually the first year came up, and Bud Lalonde was there at that time. And I remember Tom Stout saying, well, Bud, Bud's in line to be promoted, and I can't get two through in one year. Uh, but trust me, you'll go up next year. And I did, and it all happened, right? Bud got promoted, and then I got promoted. Then Bud left, went to Ohio State, took that chair. Mm -hmm. So that's worked out great for Bud, and I stayed at Michigan State. What did I accomplish over those 40 years? I made a lot of students miserable. <laughs> I uh, uh, bored a lot of people with my stories and uh, continued to work on that one book and develop it, and it's now moved through a couple of different title configurations, and it's still... Uh, on the market, I'm proud to say that there's only some parts of two or three chapters that are still the same as the first book, mm -hmm. but there are still a few paragraphs in there that have stood the test of time. And I think that was my main accomplishment. Building the, the supply chain program as one mm -hmm. of the faculty with a committed administration and continuing to write and do research in the field. Okay. And... Uh when you look back, we talked about this very early as a youngster, you said you were a stubborn person. Do you think that uh, was instrumental in uh, uh, having you get as many things done and accomplished as you did? Well, I, I think it probably did because uh, uh, between the combination of the military uh, and then uh, the academic discipline that's necessary, uh, I think that that allowed that, that early persistence uh, as opposed to stubbornness but being focused on doing things and getting them done matured and I do believe that trait has carried through mm -hmm. I can't remember starting projects and not finishing them mm -hmm. not, they're not all outstanding but at least they're finished do you have any regrets regarding your career path and what you were able to achieve in those 40 years that you spent at Michigan State well, I regretted not going to law school, and I had a sabbatical uh, that uh, was coming due, and so I decided I would use my sabbatical and uh, reapply to law school. And that was, uh, by that time, I was a full professor, and I remember uh, I went out to lunch with uh, an attorney in Lansing who also had been my CPA, and I told him what I wanted to do, and... Uh, and he said, uh, he looked at me and he said, he said, I've always thought you were nuts, but now I know you're nuts. He said, you know, you're, you're my role model. If I could do what you're doing, I quit being an attorney. So I didn't go to law school. And, uh, yeah, I think there were some other aspects of research that maybe could have pushed the field faster if we'd have gotten more done. I think that no matter what you're able to accomplish, if you make a realistic evaluation of what you could have accomplished, there's always a gap. And do you think you achieved most of what you wanted to accomplish 
If not, what else would you like to have done? I, uh, I think yes, although I found myself uh, just in the last year since retirement writing another different kind of book. And uh, my wife is convinced that I, I, I never will stop. And I guess that's kind of in our blood. If you've, I read a tremendous amount and uh, have seem to have a lot of ideas, uh, but not quite the same amount of ambition. And I'm, I'm kind of working my way into retirement right now. Okay. Uh, and in those early years, were there any individuals that served as a mentor or mentors for you and you know how did they influence you in those early days yes um the very uh the very beginning of my career uh when i had my first assistantship during my master's program i worked with uh under a gentleman by the name of art warner and art uh was a uh very interested in real estate and he taught me a lot about location analysis mm -hmm. he was an economic geographer and I w and he was very influential and then Tom Stout and I always have to uh, uh, take Stout and Taylor in combination because they were uh, the one-two punch and I can't really say who was one and who was two they were both influential um, Tom in a motivational sense and Don in a research sense. And uh, one of the great honors of my career was uh, uh, being brought in as an author on the Stout Taylor marketing, managerial marketing book, which uh, I believe to this day was kind of a, a pace-setting book. It, uh, it truly dealt with managerial marketing. And uh, I helped through one, one revision in and then both of them were finished for one reason or another and writing textbooks and and we allowed it to die. To what extent have you uh, conducted your professional life with a personal code or mission statement uh, or belief system and how has that influenced how you've uh, conducted your professional life? Well, I, um, I sincerely believe that uh, a number of us, and I include you, have uh, have felt for a long time that there's a missing discipline in business and that supply chain management is uh, represents the integration of most of the operating areas of business in a, a cross-functional and cross-organizational manner in the development of that discipline which is being carried on by many disciples of of the original people Grover Plowman and uh, and I would put Jim Heskett in that category and Bud Lalonde, I mean, uh, and others. I could go on naming. Uh, they uh, they started something and the development of it has continued to the point where today the I think there's a growing recognition that we do have a discipline. It does have frameworks. It does have principles. It is capable of prediction. It can be used for advancing research. An interesting question. Uh, what would have been your ideal job if you could have had any job in those 40 years? What would it have been? Well, I had a couple of chances as the years went on to leave and go into industry and into consulting. Um, I had an offer to become the director of 
global logistics for GM. And uh, each time I went down that road, and, and uh, particularly the consulting partnership a little later on, um, I, uh, I decided in favor of staying with the academic profession. So um, I guess I have generally got the feeling that that's where I was destined to be. I'm surprised I was at Michigan State all those years. Uh, it wasn't by design. Uh, you do build a lot of loyalty, and as you know, we worked together for a while. I was very comfortable there. Uh, but I considered leaving for other academic jobs a few times. Almost went back to Indiana, to Columbia, talked to Harvard at one time. And each time I would finally decide, uh, I guess the final one came at Tennessee. These were during the years when I didn't have a chair and other people were offering chairs. Uh, but uh, by that time I had children and family and a place in northern Michigan on a lake and life, the things in life that were important were much different. And then Michigan State developed the chair and that sealed the deal, I guess, mm -hmm. from that point on. Okay. Well, let's uh, turn back. We've talked about uh, your early family, that is your parents. Yeah. Um, talk about uh, uh, your family now and, and uh, growing up. Do you have children? And if so, how many? And uh, how, lo how long is this tape? We got. We have time. We have time. Okay. <laughs> well, in in my uh, my life, I lost my first wife uh, a few years after we moved back to East Lansing. And uh, we had three children, two girls and a boy. Okay. Uh, a few years later, I got remarried. Unfortunately, that marriage didn't work out well, with one major overriding exception is I had two wonderful sons who uh, are still with me. So that adds up to five. And a few years ago, I got remarried to a wonderful lady who had four children. So. Now we have nine, mm. and uh, it might be easier to tell you what they're not doing than to tell you what they are doing. Uh, I have two sons, two oldest sons are in the supply chain field. I have a daughter who's a marketing uh, consultant, so that's the first three. I have, uh, uh, excuse me, I, I got that mixed up again. I got to back up a little bit. First family, two daughters. One's a high school teacher and uh, chairman of a department at a Michigan high school. Uh, my oldest son is uh, in logistics, and my youngest daughter is a marketing consultant. Then my next two sons, uh, one of those is with the Kohler Corporation in logistics. The other one, hold your hat, is attending school at Ohio State University. And then I uh, uh, have my four stepchildren, uh, one of uh, of whom is with Disney on Ice as a stage producer. Another one had been a skater with Disney for 10 years. Uh, one of them is in culinary school, and the other one's going to the University of South Florida. Yes. So we have quite a clan. And as a parent to a number of children, what was your main goal as a parent uh, raising those children? Uh, much like my father's, uh, with a little less insistence on graduate education, but to get uh, uh, fully prepared for life. And uh, everybody 
in our family is one way or another, either going to school part-time or full-time or has degrees. Now, we've mentioned and discussed your parents uh, several times already. In what ways do you think your parents influenced you the most? Um, I think the very most was was encouraging that, that drive to be persistent to you accomplish something. And also building confidence that that so often I see lacking in young people that I've worked with, and that's that, yes, you can do it. Otherwise, you can make that speech, or you can be in that club, or you can be uh, anything you want to be, because in the environment that we've been raised in in this country, uh, saying you can is only an alibi for not putting out the effort to do it. And you mentioned briefly some brothers and sisters in your family. Uh, how many are they? Are they older or younger? Are they in what professions are they in today? Well, my oldest brother's deceased. He was a physician. You know, my son, the doctor, the first one that went to to a college in the history of our our particular family, went all the way through. In fact, he became a uh, a gynecologist and he was a specialist. He died uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, then I was. Then I have an older sister. Uh, she married a World War II veteran, an amputee, and uh, uh, she did not go on to school. But she did go to the College of Life. She had 13 children, mm. and wow. that's quite a quite a clan. Uh, then uh, I have a younger brother who. Uh, uh, went on to school but not to graduate school and who is now a trustee of Lake Sumter Junior College. And you had mentioned um, uh, while in the military having a young wife and a, a baby and then another one on the way which influenced you to move back to Lansing. How did you and your first spouse meet? We met uh, during my senior year of school. She'd been from the same high school I'd gone to and uh, We'd been in high school one year together. She was a freshman at uh, Michigan State. And um, I met her quite by accident at a, at a party during Christmas holiday. And she knew all about me, and I never had remembered having seen her. From that time on, I, I saw a lot of her. <laughs> was she supportive of your... Uh, uh move into career? Absolutely. This, she was uh, very supportive in all those years in the military and moving around. And, and the sad thing was she was quite young when we began to realize that she was ill. And I'll never forget the day we went to actually to Ohio State University Medical School where she got diagnosed. Now, Don, changing course for just a moment, looking at uh, the history aspect, uh, other than the present time, what historical period or era would you like to have lived in? Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain. Interested in sponsoring this show or others to help you get your message out? Send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and certification workshops for you or your team. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring.